0: We, we're in a series called the Sermon on the Mount, and what we're doing is we're, we're looking at the longest sermon that Jesus had in the New Testament. And he teaches his disciples, and he says, this is what it means to follow me. And last week, we started with the Beatitudes, uh, as they're known, or it, it means to be supremely blessed. What is a supremely blessed person? And it goes through the character of a follower of Christ. And the first thing Jesus says is if you are my follower, you are poor in spirit. And I mention that today because we have to anchor everything that we say over the next few months as we go through this Sermon on the Mount in that, that we cannot do anything that Jesus is talking about here on our own. Jesus calls the people who are unrighteous in themselves to him. Because when we are unrighteous in ourselves, that means simply that we need someone else to be our righteousness, someone else to make us righteous. And Jesus anchors his entire sermon on this beginning. And in his end, we read last week in the end of chapter 7, he says, whoever listens to what I say in this sermon, they will anchor their life and build it on the rock. And so when the storms come, when the waves come, when the winds come, their house will not be shaken. But if you listen and do not build your house on what you're hearing, then you will be building it on the sand. And when the storms come, when the winds come, your house will be destroyed. And so we need to remember that what we are reading right now, Jesus valued this teaching, that we as Christians should model ourselves to this teaching. And if if you're here, if you're not a Christian, then you can hear this sermon and you can say, this is what Christians are supposed to be like. I got it. You know, these, are, these aren't what the Christians, I know what they're like, but now I know what Christians were supposed to be like. And there's a big gap a lot of times between what we're supposed to be like and what we are, but that is why Jesus calls the poor in spirit, because it, it's, it takes a while to get there. Uh, it's, it's, my, one of my favorite words is sanctification, that is, after we are saved, it's, it takes a while for uh, God to purify us, and it's a process. Uh, We're not saints. Uh, Well, we are saints the moment we get saved, but I mean that in the literal sense. (laughs) We don't act like it all the time. Um, So we're going to be reading today uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. And so last week, if we say that Jesus is talking about Christian character, this week we can say, is what Jesus is talking about Christian influence in the world. If this is how you act, this is what your influence should be like in the world. And if you don't first get together how you act, then you're not going to have influence. And and, and so we're going to be talking about what influence looks like. Uh, This this entire portion of scripture is pretty famous, but this is another one uh, that is really famous. So read with me on the screen, starting in verse 13 to 14. Jesus says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this is two things that Jesus makes a statement about. He says two things. He says, one, he says, you are the salt of the earth, and two, he says, you are the light of the world, and so when, what I want to do is I want to just start off explaining what salt and light means, what that means. Uh, and what we're going to do for this sermon is we're going to explain what the salt is and we're going to explain what light is, and then we're going to look at that. What does that actually mean for us in the practical sense as a church? What is, what is Jesus saying? What is he explaining to us? Because these, this statement, these two statements that he's making are two very specific statements, and they're two metaphors for what the church should be like in general. And it goes all the way from a small scale of how should I act when I'm amongst my friends and family, and it goes to the large scale of what should the church be like in society. So from small scale, how do I act among people to large scale? How should the overarching church in the world be seen and viewed in society? And so I want it uh, to be a kind of warning to us that, one, we should not be influenced by the world, but we should influence the world. And that that is the general point of what we're going to be kind of anchoring this discussion around. And so the first thing we're going to dive into you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? So salt back then um, was everything, right? They, if you don't understand what salt does, just imagine a world without refrigerators, a cold auditorium, a freezer, a cooler. Uh, if none of these things exist without electricity, uh, then salt is going to be, is, is life, basically. Salt is life to you. Like, if you do not have salt, you're probably not going to make it through the winter, Uh, Because what salt does, what a lot of us don't know, is salt is a preservative. Uh, A lot of us just know that if we want our fries to taste good, then we just got to get mad salt and just dump it on there. So that's one thing salt does, but its main function or main property is preserving food. And so in a world without refrigerators and freezers and coolers and all that, uh, when salt was rubbed onto meat, what it did was it preserved that meat to last longer, and then also it gave it some flavor. But it, it stopped that meat from rotting. And whereas meat would go bad in one or two days, if you put salt on it, sometimes it could last you for months. Uh, that's how long salt would preserve it. But back then, uh, salt was not pure. Uh, so if, if you're into chemistry then there's something that you know about salt. Sodium chloride is the chemical or the compound of salt. And sodium chloride can actually never lose its taste. It's always going to have a salty flavor, whatever you want to call it, to it. Uh, But back then, what they would do is they would go pick up uh, salt from like a type of a salt mine or uh, from salty places and what would come with the sodium chloride was a bunch of white powder. Basically, it was dust. Uh, And so when they would rub what they would think is salt, uh, but it was white powder, dirt, mixed with sodium chloride, onto something, sometimes the sodium chloride would leak out uh, from their salt, and so it would lose its saltiness, and it would also mean that the meat would rot. And so in that case, the salt as they knew it, had no taste, and it had no function. It was basically a waste. It wasn't doing its job. And so Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. What he's saying here, he's saying a few things. He's saying, you are the preservatives of the world. You are the agent to stop the world from decaying in sin. You make the earth go from rotting and bad in taste to preserved and palpable. And he's saying this is is one of the jobs of the church. This is one of our functions. But what happens when the church loses its saltiness? It has literally no purpose. What does Jesus say? He says when it loses its saltiness, the only thing that it is good for, the only thing that we are good for when we lose our saltiness is this, to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I love Jesus, so intense. It's just like, man, it's, it's literally my way or the highway. There's just, there's no way. You either give everything or nothing. So Jesus says, if, if you do not have saltiness, if you do not do your job, then you might as well be thrown out like dirt. And be trampled on because that's better. Yeah. Wow. Right? Wow. I have a few prayers sprinkled throughout this sermon for stuff like that because, you know, I, we are a church. We are a church. We are not the church at large. We're not everybody, but we are part of the church at large, part of the body. And this part of the body, I constantly am going to pray, God, that we do not lose our saltiness. I don't want to be trampled on. By people. I know saltiness is a little bit different, right? We're not talking if you salty towards other people, we're about to talk about that in a second. We gotta you gotta listen to the Beatitudes from last week. (laughs) Right. So then Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. If Saul talks, a, Saul talks about preserving, but there isn't a sense in, in gaining ground with Saul. You're stopping something. You're stopping a negative effect, a decay that is happening. You're just stopping the inevitable. But with light, what happens is it has that reverse effect. It is about expelling darkness. Wherever there is light, darkness cannot be. And so when a light is shined in a room, the darkness, what, flees. It is gone. And so Jesus calls us to be a shining example to the world. He calls us to be people that shine in the midst of darkness, to be a city on a hill. That means that we aren't hidden. We aren't afraid. We don't hide. We don't put a, a bucket over our light. We don't try to hide to go into the recesses of society, but we are on a hill. We are seen from miles away. People, our, our light shines We are evident, we are here, we are present. But what is our light? I love that Jesus gives us this explanation in verse 16. He says, what is it that makes us shine? Verse 16 reveals to us that it's our good works, that are our light. And the meaning of good works must be practical, must be visible, deeds of compassion that the church does. It must be something that is not just a mental game or a talk about it game, but a doing it kind of game. As James says, what is the point of being just a hearer and not a doer? And i An example of this, I think of Hurricane Harvey, just hit Texas, devastation everywhere. I read an amazing statistic about the relief effort for Hurricane Harvey. Eighty percent of the relief effort for Hurricane Harvey came from faith-based nonprofits and churches. Which this is a practical evidence of good works in the church. This is what we mean that our light should shine, that we should be among society, that we are a city on a hill. So we are to never to conceal who we are. We're supposed to be out there. But one thing that Jesus ends with this, and he constantly throws this in there whenever we talk about good works, because it's, it's really to get good works confused. Uh, a lot of times we put good works first, and it's like, uh, first I am good, then I am saved, then I get all the props and the blessing, you know, and then I go to heaven. Uh, but Jesus gives it this way. You are bad, so first you are saved, then you do good works, and then God gets the glory for all of it, because bad people don't do good things on their own. And so in our good works, we know that not that we aren't glorified, people don't look at us and say, wow, how amazing they are, but our good works as a church and as people are a testimony to the Father, that, and it glorifies Him among the nations. And so when people look at the church, they should glorify God knowing those are messed up people doing really good things. No way they can do it on their own. Must be God. Must be. And so let's talk about this practical aspect. I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about jobs. I want to talk about politics. And I want to talk about family All right, all of these should get a little dicey for you. So, all of them, yeah, just warming. So the church, right? We understand what salt and light is now. We understand the meaning. The influence we are called to have is twofold. It's it's salt in the system to stop the decay of it, and it's light separate from the system to show an alternate way from it. All right, I'm going to say that again. We are salt in the system to stop the decay of it, and we are light separate from the system to show an alternate way from it. And so that looks like a few different things. As, as salt, right, this, this means first that we're not supposed to retreat from the world. Right, salt is literally rubbed onto the things that are disintegrating, that are, are, are being becoming rotten, are decaying, salt is rubbed onto them. So Jesus is saying, you are going to be rubbed into the system. That means we do not retreat from it, we don't hide, we don't run away, we're not in a monastery somewhere and just, you know, in our own little nook and cranny in the world, but we are supposed to be present. You know, we take, we look at the incarnation of Jesus, that God came and lived and dwelt among us, became part Of our system of the earth and he understood temptation he understood pain understood suffering all these things that we go through as people and so the first thing as salt being part of the system means that we are in the system and a lot of times Christians have this escapist mentality that when I get saved I want to run from the world I don't want any kind of friends that are not in church. I don't want any type of uh, anything in this world that that is not of church. I don't want to be a part of it. And so we develop our own lingo. We develop our own mannerisms. We develop our own phrases. And then after time, someone who's not been in church has no clue what the heck we're saying. We're speaking the same language, but a different dialect. And we need translators from it, and it's it's part of that has been because as Christians we have retreated from society and we forgot what it was like to be a normal person. <laughs> told you it was gonna get a little dicey in here. So let's talk about our jobs first. In your job, what does it look like to be salt in our job, not be salty? To be salt. <laughs> so say coworkers being mistreated. What is right there there's an outsider amongst coworkers. What does that look like? Are you one who also shuns that person cause say they're annoying or They do things that are messed up at work or they're kissing up to the boss all the time and that's frustrating. And so there you everybody's pushing that person on the outside, and what happens? You push them out as well. But salt in the system looks like this. Hey man, I'm I'm just as messed up and wrecked as that person is, probably more so than that person. And you know, if Jesus didn't shun me even in, in my messed upness, then there's no way that I have any excuse to shun that person. And so let me go gather them to be a part of the fold. Oh, you said something that was really annoying, but okay. I'm still going gonna, still gonna to try to have, uh, you know, you, that, that was really dumb what you just said there. Okay. But still, I mean, you know, what, how many times I got to forgive this person, God? 70 times seven. Okay. Infinity. That's basically what you mean. Okay. right? When others at work, they start gossiping or talking bad about their spouses or their girlfriend, their boyfriend, or their family. How do you respond? I remember, you know, almost every day uh, before I go to work, I go get a bagel at Steve's Bagels. It's across the street from here. It's where we get our bagels from. little plug uh, for them. <laughs> told them to get a little percentage, you know, if I mention them on Sunday. Uh, and so you know, I, I go over there and I, I talk to. I'm usually I'm not talkative in the morning. I'm not a coffee drinker. I, I explain it like this. I'm not a morning person. I'm not a night person. I'm a middle of the day kind of guy. Takes me a little while to wake up. Takes me a little while to go to sleep. And you don't really want to be around me during either of those periods. <laughs> and so I you know I go in and get my bagel. And so uh, see this see uh, this one lady behind the counter. Uh, every day, and we strike up conversation here and there. She learns my name, Uh, and so my wife goes also there whenever, you know, I'm too lazy to go get a bagel. She'll usually go get me a bagel for me. She's a great wife, Uh, and so my wife goes there, but she was using my credit card uh, to go get the bagels, and so the lady realized one day, like, hey, you're not Justin Matera, so what are you doing using Justin Matera's credit card, and you know Heather was just like, oh, that's my husband, blah blah. blah. And she was like, oh, I'm just kidding with you. I know. Uh, and so when I would go and she saw the same name on the credit card, she realized like, hey, oh, I met your wife the other day. Uh, she came in here and uh, and I was like, oh, she's probably a lot happier than I am. I'm sure she talked to you. And she was like, yeah, she's a really nice girl. She's a really nice lady. And I was like, yeah, my wife. You know, it's true. I tell people I'm mean. And I had to marry somebody that was nice if I wanted my kids to have any chance in the world of ever being nice. And so that's what I told her. That's just, you know, that's my stump speech whenever somebody meets my wife and they're like, how did someone so kind and happy ever get with somebody like you? Uh, And... So, you know, she just smiled and she's like, oh, that's cool. And then I went home. Next time Heather goes into the store, she tells Heather, she goes, you know, I met your husband. I talked to him and it's crazy. He said something nice about you when I told him I had met you before. Apparently, she sees people every day and every time without fail, she tells somebody, oh, I met your husband or I met your wife. They say, oh, that idiot, like that annoying piece of garbage, like, oh, I don't know what the heck I was thinking when I married that person. Like, oh, I feel sorry for you that you had to meet them too. (laughs) And this is the response this lady got. So she, this is what it means that we are in the system, right? That, but we show an alternate way to it. That our character, our life actually allows people to be influenced by us. I cannot tell you how many times that it was decisions like, hey, yeah, there, there's a limit to the drinking for this or no, I'm I'm not going to smoke that or, you know, before I was married, just telling people like, hey, I'm sorry, I can't sleep with you. Like, that's just not my life. Where it's, where... are you human? You know, like, what's up with that? And it's just like, just more fearful of God than <laughs> I am of you. And what that does to people is it, it, it piques their interest. Like, What what does that mean? I I, I haven't met something like this. I haven't met someone that is in the same world, the same system, the same sinfulness as me, yet can react in this way. You know, if if our culture at our job is, say, to steal from the company, do we participate in that? I had a friend in the MTA. I'm sorry. If I'm going to talk about stealing and jobs, I got to talk about the MTA. The dude would clock in in the morning, go home, go to sleep, and then come back to work and clock out. Right? Sorry, MTA. And he just, he told me, oh, it's the culture there. It's, it's okay. And my question to him was like, but you're a Christian, bro. You're robbing people. You're robbing my taxes, son. That's what I really wanted to say to him. Just because everybody does it and we're part of that system, does that give us the okay to do it? And Jesus is saying, no, we are actually the people in the system that are there to preserve, to stop the decay, to, to be a part of bucking against the immorality of the world. In politics, we play a part, albeit it's complicated the part that we play. But a couple of things that we know for sure. Neither party is our savior. Neither party has it completely right. And laws will never change people's hearts. Only God will. So how do we speak truth into each of those things? Right? One party thinks there's nothing wrong with abortion. They see no value in life before birth. Another party thinks there's nothing wrong with mass incarcerations. They throw a blind eye to generational sin that has happened in our country. Our values say this. We cannot agree fully with either, but we can engage with both. And we can engage with them about a better way. In family, we play a part. When we get together with our family, when we're at home with our family, our actions, they speak loud. They speak clear. Right? I, I think of, again, when we're at family gatherings, man, we just, we talk about each other a lot. It could be a different relative in the other room, and it's just like everybody in this room is talking about that relative, and everybody in that room is talking about this relative. And then we switch rooms and then just mix up who we gossiping about in the other rooms. And we participate in that willingly. Yet the Bible says, well, if you have a problem with somebody, then you go and speak to them first before you go talk to everybody and their mother about it, literally in this case. When we do that, we are stopping the decay of the system, right? How do we treat our children or the person we're dating or our single life or our spouse? It all speaks to how we live in a fallen world as people who have been given life. You know, dating men, are your actions telling women their value is in their body And how you treat them? Or are your actions telling them that they're an image bearer of Christ? Married women, are your husbands drawn more towards God by your actions towards them? Or is he pushed away from God because of them? Fathers, do you provoke your kids to anger? Or are you patient and loving towards them? Kids, do we look at our parents with honor and respect? Or with disdain and dismissal? These are all different various ways that the Bible teaches us to look at people and family. because we are the preservative of the world. If nobody does this, if nobody looks towards God and looks at his character and says, well, I'm gonna model what Christ has shown me, I'm gonna model the the commandments that God has given me to live on the earth, and guess what? Nobody is, and we get a society that we read about in Romans one, which just says people that have turned away from God And God's wrath comes upon them, and his wrath is not lightning bolts. His wrath is not uh, just massive death and destruction. His wrath is this. Goodbye. You can do what you want. Let's see how far and how dark that little rabbit hole goes. And let me tell you, if you've been down that rabbit hole, you know it's dark. You know it's bad. You know it's it's something that's really, really hard to get away from. But Jesus says now it's our job to be in society, to be part of the thing that preserves it, to stop the decay of it. But then he also says that we're supposed to show another way from it. And that way is the church. It's how we act with one another. It's our community. This is the light of Of the world. We are not Republican or Democrat, we are the church. We are not a business or a nonprofit, we are the church. We are not American or immigrant, we are the church. We model an alternate society. The third way, the better way, is this way, the way that Christ modeled for us. A new kingdom with a very different type of king, a new family with a very loving father, and a new body with very functioning parts. This is how we are described as the church. This family, this people, this community, this church plays a role in expelling the darkness from society. That means that we don't just preserve the world and the systems of it, that we don't just live in the systems of the world, but we also show an alternate way from that system, a godly system, a system that is far from sin, a system that is fearful of God and has him as its king. So when there's racial tension in society, people can look at the church and they can say, wow, there's unity and racial diversity there. That is an alternate way. That is different than what we are used to. When everyone is trying to get over on somebody and make a buck from them, we as a alternate society are giving our money and our power away. We are showing a different way to live as people. When the government takes taxes at the threat of punishment, at the threat of jail, we joyfully give tithes to grow our people in alternate way. When people outside constantly backstab, cut each other off from their lives, and run during hardship, we pull together. We confront with honesty, and we love throughout in alternate way. This is the church. Our job as the church is to be people who influence, not be people who retreat. If God wanted us all in heaven the moment that we got saved, then he would have raptured us that moment. But no, when we get saved, he leaves us on earth because there are earthly things to do while we are here. And what we need to remember, what we need to take away is these simple things that we are salt in the system to stop the decay of it. And we are light separate from the system to show an alternate way from it. Let us pray. Father help your people. Help this church be a church that reveals your glory. Lord that when people come amongst us that they wouldn't find more of the same of what they find in society. That they wouldn't find more of the same of what they've found in their families or their workplaces or in politics. But they would find an alternate way, God, a new type of family, a new type of community, a new type of body. Lord, one that they have only dreamed about but never thought was possible. Lord, I pray for the people in this congregation, in this body, in this church. That we would not shy away from a decaying system but that we would pray daily that you rub us into that system, whatever that friction may cause, God. That we would be part of the preservative of this world. But that, Father, that we would be a shining example on earth of what it truly means to follow you. So much of this world has influenced the church. So much of the world has influenced the way that we do things, God. We have been separated by party lines. We have been separated by business and organization. We have been separated because of division. Father, I pray that this would be a church that influences rather than influenced. That you would work in our hearts. And that we would start from a place that is poor in spirit. That says, Jesus, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot come up with best practices. We cannot come up with the most amazing strategy. We cannot come up with the best way of doing this. But what we can do is we can rely on you. Because we are poor in spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we... Stand if you're comfortable standing. We're going to worship. And I pray that as we worship, that God would speak to you. That maybe it's becoming deeply a part of this community. Or maybe there's someone that you need to forgive. Or maybe that there's something that God is convicting you of in your work or, or in your job or in your online posting. Whatever it is, I pray that Holy Spirit, that you would come right now. And that you would bring conviction but that, Father, that you would bring renewal of your spirit and a deeper dependence on you. In Jesus' name we pray.